As Pastor Aaron, one of his phrases, comments that he said was worshiping God through fellowship with one another. You all know what it's like when you get into a hot tub or into a hot bathtub. You get in that thing and the warmth encompasses you. It's all around and it feels so good. That's what this is. <laughs> now let's not get creepy. It's not like we're all taking a bath together. <laughs> that warmth that we get to experience. The Lamb of God gave up his life that we might do this. That warmth that thing that feels so good is because he died that we might have a right relationship with him. And then it's right. Because that's why we were made. Every one of us. And there is nothing better because this is his design for us. And it is glorious. Do you know you all Hope I can get this out. That there's a little church in Nairobi that met today for the second time, and they're experiencing the same thing because of you. Because of you, the the sense of God's presence has 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 been taken from here. And been taken to this little neighborhood in Nairobi, Kenya. You would not believe where this little church has been planted. Last week, when our team of 12 sent from you by God to go to this little corner in Nairobi, in the little town, a little part called Lucky Summer, this place is as filthy as it gets. It is dusty, there's trash everywhere. It is unbelievable. And when we were taken for the first time last Monday to visit the plot of land, I want you to know what it looked like. The plot of land was about 60 by 30 feet. And it was walled in with brick walls on three sides, the walls being maybe five feet high. And that was, that's the land where the church is to be. It was full of rubble. When we went there on Monday, it was slanted. It was not level. And I'm going, you have got to be kidding. To get there, you go down this really, it's like an alley. There is stuff streaming down. You make your way down there and you come to this little hole in this little place. Our team went there. We were taken there to see the place. We walked onto that ground on that little place. And I'm telling you all, it felt like we were on holy ground. Because this is where God is going to do business with his people. This is where he's going to draw people in and he's going to bring them to himself and he's going to disciple them. He's going to grow them up and then he's going to send them out. For our team, it was overwhelming in that moment. It feels to me just like when Jesus was born and the light shone down on the stable. That's how it felt to me. 
that in the filth of this city, there was a light shining down on this little place. (laughs) To be a part of something like that, there are no words. There's a ton of emotion. I mean, it was goosebumpy. Ask our team. Team Kenya, I've seen some of you around here. Team Kenya, would you stand up, please? Would you guys stand up? Look around. Look around. Thank you. What a joy to serve with these. IBC, we're going to give you a full report later, but I want to tell you, you would have been proud of this team. God undertook just incredibly the whole time. He used everything. He blessed this thing all through it, even through sickness. So the way the week was set up was in the mornings, we would meet, we would be paired up with Kenyans, and we would go do street evangelism, something we don't do anymore here in the States. And so our ladies were in partners, and then a Kenyan or two was added to them, and they would go. Uh, We men, there were only three of us. Uh, Dusty was with his wife and then a Kenyan. Um, Adam Orvest did a great job leading the team. He was paired with a Kenyan or two, and so was I. And I was paired with a, a man named David. And uh, we had a great time walking through the streets, approaching shopkeepers, different people, to talk about the Lord. And we were told before we went out in the round that people love to talk about God here. <laughs> it's a beautiful thing, especially when a Muzungu shows up. Muzungu's a white-skinned individual. <laughs> and and here, we are in this, here we are in this area... And all of us, there's there's 12 Muzungus around. And I'm telling you, it created quite a stir. But that's part of what our ministry was. We talked about that before we left. It was an attraction. And God used it powerfully. Most of the team, if not all of the team, got to be a part of leading somebody to Christ last week. For his glory. But the, and so we did evangelism. Then in the afternoon, we'd break up into teams. We had a children's team, ladies' team and teens team and we did our ministry and we'll tell you more about that later but god was all over it on wednesday six of our team went down with sickness gut issue so that morning we did not go we said you know what let's stay back what's god doing well here's what god was doing he gave us a rest those of us that were not sick but allowed those that were sick to be able to not feel the pressure of having to go and so forth But the Kenyans, what we found out later was they really loved having us with them because it did open doors. And now they no longer had a Muzungu with them. And they said it was really hard. But God did it anyway. People came to Christ through their own witness. And going, okay, Lord, there you go. And he redeemed everything on this trip for his glory. So IBC, we're going to tell you more. I just want you to know That God, (laughs) he showed up so much. He ordained this trip. And we know that so many of you were praying. And I want to say thank you. Because God doesn't have to answer the prayer the way he did. But it was unbelievable. It was tough. Oh, there was stretching stuff. When we have a small uh, team of of, uh, those working with children and 220 kids show up, it was nuts. And Pastor Francis and his wife Lillian had no idea how many people would show up. And the ladies, Lillian thought maybe we would have five or six ladies. They had over 80 ladies. It was insane. 
But hallelujah. hallelujah. That's God getting it done. I'm telling you. Right on. <laughs> Our cup was overflowing and it continues to overflow. So thank you for praying. We look forward to sharing more of that. One of the, it was, it was, I really enjoyed doing evangelism. Most of the time it freaks us all out. But our team was loving it. As we went around and got to engage people in evangelism, and the tool that was the winner was the EvangiCube. The EvangiCube, <laughs> adults, children, it did not matter. It was a great tool to be using. And here's what we found out in, in this part of Kenya. Hey, we're here just to just talk about God. We've been having a great time going around talking to people about God and his word. Do you believe in God? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Everybody believes in God. How cool is that? Well, we don't need to be evangelizing anymore. So I love the, the questions from Evangelism Explosion. I said, so I got a question for you. Go with me here. I got a question for you. It's a tough one. If you were to die today, do you know that you would be going to heaven? You all, the blank look on their face was like, Ugh. and then it would go to the next question. If you were standing at the heaven's gate and God said, why should I let you in my heaven? What would you say? And you know what they said? I was good. I've been good. You know what? Here are some people that we encountered over and over and over again. Who think they know Jesus, who think they're going to go to heaven, not sure, but they think they are, and pretty much it's a guarantee they are not. And that's what our passage is about today. So let's open up our, uh, our swords to Matthew 7, and let's take a look at the passage. This is continuing on from Pastor Mike's message last week. It's a scary passage. Giving you a heads up, it's a scary passage. So I'm going to put us all on notice. I'm going to ask you to be thinking deeply in your heart where you stand before God today. Verse 21. It's titled, I Never Knew You. Now everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will, and then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Most terrifying words in all of the Bible right there. Depart from me, I never knew you. So, before we go any further, and this is not a long message, I want us all to just pause and answer the question, not out loud. If you were to stand at heaven's gate, and God said to you, and he said your name, and he said, why should I let you into my heaven, what would your answer be? Please, humor me. Everybody in here... What would your answer be? Don't say it out loud, but think it. Please, what would your answer be? 
Okay? We'll get back to that. We see here that there is a day of judgment coming. When Jesus says, I never knew you. Depart from me. That is indicating a day of judgment. Over in Matthew 25, this is what we read. Matthew 25, 31. says this, when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations, and He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will place the sheep on His right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the King will say to those on His right, come, You who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly, I say to you, as you did to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And they go on, Why? And basically, it's the reverse. You, you, I was naked, you did not clothe me. I was hungry, you did not give me something to eat. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. As we look at this passage, this is what it is about. It is a time to just pause and go, where am I at before God? Maybe you go to church all the time, so you think, yeah, I'm good. Or you have a Christian family, so I'm good. My parents, whatever. This is between you and God only. Because at the moment that this happens, of this judgment, it will be you standing before God (laughs) and nobody else. Last week, Pastor Mike talked about being deceived by false prophets. We talked about Jim Jones. I was a senior in high school when that horrific thing took place. I was in Brazil. And in one of my classes, we were tracking the news, contemporary issues and so forth. And when that happened, it shocked us all. My brother-in-law grew up in Guyana. So that thing hit close to home. It was like, how could this happen? And I'm sorry that my glasses are dark because this is exactly what he looked like. (laughs) I've never forgotten it. So I'm a little self-conscious when my my glasses go dark. So forgive me, all right? (laughs) This is talking about a deception that comes from outside. And we are all called like the Bereans when we hear something to test it against Scripture. Is it truth or is it false? Well, the deception that we're talking about here is self-deception. 
It is not from anybody else. This is now we're talking about ourselves. This is troubling. This is troubling because this deception is, I think I'm good. I think I'm good. When I die, I'm going to heaven. The question is, why do you think you are going to heaven? Do you know that you are going to heaven? We can know. You know, knowing about Jesus is not the same as knowing Jesus. They are two vastly different things. Even Satan himself and his demons know about Jesus. They know him well. Yet they are going to suffer eternal punishment. James 2.19 You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. And yet they are going to be condemned to hell forever. Knowing about Jesus, knowing about God isn't enough. And these guys, these, these, these people in this passage say, but Lord, Lord, we did all these amazing things in your name. We cast out demons. We did all these wonderful things in your name. How's that possible? How is that possible to be self-deceived and yet still do uh, these amazing things in the name of Jesus? In Philippians, we read, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry. This is Paul um, talking, uh, writing when he was in prison. But others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. They were proclaiming Christ, the gospel, out of impure motives. <laughs> the next verse, Paul goes, but hallelujah, the gospel is being proclaimed. But the problem is, those that are proclaiming the gospel for self-motivations are being deceived. And will one day be shocked when Jesus says, I never knew you. I think even in our own lives, we feel like, boy, if we're busy about the Lord's work, I'm good. Sue and I spent uh, 20 years uh, on the mission field, both in Brazil and Missouri. You know what? There were times it's like, not to cast judgment on anybody, but when you do not see a heart towards God, that it's all about the work, you begin to question, what's up with that? I know a missionary, you all. <laughs> this missionary was in a tribe he had learned the tribal language. They were putting the language into writing. They were teaching the tribal people the word of God. And in the process, this man came to Jesus. A missionary who has given his life. So you see, as we talk out of this passage, we're assuming nothing about how we're all doing. We cannot assume anything but to pray for one another. And I know that most of us, if not every one of us in here, have fully trusted and placed their faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And those of you who are in that place, you're in the right place, I'm going to ask you, as we continue here, be in prayer. Because if there are any people in here who have not yet fully trusted in Jesus Christ, that God would draw them even now to himself. Because we're not assuming anything.
What are our motives? There are other examples in scripture. The sons of Siva tried casting out demons in the name of of the Jesus that Paul preached. (laughs) But the demons turned and said, we know about Paul. We don't know about you. And they beat them up. They were trying on their, in their own strength to do God's work. And it amounted nothing. They were hurt in the process. In Matthew 24 also, for false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect to be led astray. This is why Jesus says, why he uses the word lawless. You evildoers, you lawless ones, you are creating havoc in the kingdom of God because you are leading people astray. The most terrifying statement in all of scripture, I never knew you. I never knew you. This past, this phrase is not referring to losing our salvation. Because if it did, that means Jesus would have known you at one point and you walked away. No, he says, I never knew you. That no, Jesus knows everybody. He created us. He knows you. So when he says, I never knew you, means we never had a relationship. You never trusted in me. You never repented. You never turned away from your sin, recognizing how needy you are, how desperately dependent upon you are for me and what I have done, the finished work on the cross. I never knew you. Never knew you. What a statement that is to stand before God and Jesus says, I never knew you. It's got to be the most frightening most frightening statement in all of scripture. You know, as we were traveling to Kenya and back, when you go and submit your passport and your boarding pass, you're at the whim of those officials. They may look at that document and go, nope, you ain't going. And I always feel like that. Every time I go, okay, what are they going to do? Erica Lausch had a carry-on suitcase. Hard. It was a nice suitcase. When we were in Seattle to leave, they said, nope, you got to check it in. She was not happy about that, but she survived. <laughs> so when we checked in in Nairobi to come back, I was standing with Dusty and Erica and I said, let's see what happens. They go, nope, they got to check it in. <laughs> I said, Erica. You are cursed, or that bag's cursed. (laughs) If they had said, no, you can't even take that suitcase, okay, big deal. When Jesus says, I never knew you, get away from me, a little different from a suitcase. It's serious. Second Thessalonians 1, 8 and 9 say this, inflaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Ouch. Now this is beyond painful. This is, when Jesus says, I never knew you, this is the future of that person. 
Hell will be, according to scripture, an unquenchable fire, a place of memory you can remember and remorse, a place of thirst, a place of misery, a place of pain, a place of frustration and anger, a place of endless separation, a place of undiluted divine wrath. Ouch. Wow. This is serious. I remember having a conversation with several Kenyan men. I remember one man, I could see him clearly right now as he was sitting there and David and I were tag teaming. He was in Swahili, I was in English. And we got to the end of the conversation, sharing Christ, the gospel with him. This man clearly said, I understand. I understand. I need to choose God to follow Jesus, to give my life to Christ, or follow my own way. I understand. And I'm not doing it today. Oh, I tell you, I walked away with sadness. I want to go, dude, you can get me hit by a car on your way home. And I said that. Not out of smugness, like I have the answer. But God is calling you, my friend. You are understanding. Please, because it will be too late. If you die before making that decision of fully accepting what Christ has done for you. Here's a question. Does Jesus know you? Does Jesus know you? How do you know that he knows you? And if you're not sure, let's be talking, okay? Let's be talking. When this is over, in a few minutes, let's be talking. So, Jesus says, right at the beginning of that, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. What is the will of the Father? What is that? Because we see a lot through scripture, it looks like works are tied in there. Well, works are not the way we are entering heaven, but they are an outflow of a transformed life of understanding what Jesus has done for us. Faith without works is dead, and so forth. We talked last week, Pastor Mike did, about trees and the kind of fruit that they bear and so forth. We are seen by our fruit. But what is the will of the Father? 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, but is long-suffering to us, not willing that any should perish, but that all might do what? Come to repentance. But that all might come to repentance. That's the will of the Father. Repent. Turn away. Understand that God is holy God and you are sinful. And God in his holiness can have nothing to do with sin. And you are lost. We are lost. There is nothing we can do to come into a proper relationship with the Father. Except through Jesus. John 6.28. John 6.28 says this. Then they said to him, what to Jesus, what must we do to be doing the works of God? It's a great question. What should we be doing? 
to do the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God that you believe in Him whom He has sent. That you believe in Him whom He has sent. That is the will of God. That is the work of God. And I love Hebrews 11.6. But without faith, it is impossible to please God. And anyone who would come to God, come near to God, must believe first that he exists. And secondly, that he rewards those who seek him. It's an act of faith. So... We, you, will not enter heaven on your own terms. You will not enter heaven on your own terms. We enter into that relationship by faith. When we, one, confess that we are needy sinners before a holy God. We place our faith not in our good deeds... But in the person who died on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins. We thank God in prayer by faith that Jesus died in our place and for our sins. And we rise up and follow him daily in obedience to his commands. So I asked you that question. If you were standing at the gate of heaven and God says, why should I let you into my heaven? If your answer has the word I in it, other than because I have trusted, I have put my faith in what Jesus has done. If it's any other thing with I that says I did, you will be one of those that he says, I never knew you depart from me. The second we think that God will accept us based on something that we have done, we have now made a mockery of what Jesus has done for us. We have made a mockery of what the Father did in sending his Son and pouring his wrath out on his own Son. We make a mockery of that. Now the truths that are in this passage are simple. They are foundational. And most of us sitting here going, hallelujah, that is right. But I want to say if there is anybody here, you all, I'm going to invite you to do business with God today. Before we start the partying and the picnicking, would you please not leave this campus before you have ensured that you are right with God Almighty by accepting the free gift of salvation through what Jesus has done in taking your place because the Bible says the wages of sin is death. And Jesus said, I'll do that for you. I'll die in your place. Romans 10, 9 and 10. For with the heart we believe, from the mouth we confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Trust in the Lord and you will be saved. So, that is my invitation. That is my invitation, you all. Again, not assuming anything <laughs> here. And I, I, I pray that it does, I'm not coming across harsh at all. I have not gained my salvation by anything I have done. It is only by the grace and mercy and love of God. Amen. And I know that when I stand before God, if he were to ask me that question, I would say, Oh, Father, 
I have placed all of my trust and my faith in what Jesus, your son, has done for me. And I am so thankful. May that be all of our responses. If you have not gotten to that place, I'm going to invite you, as we sing these next two songs, to do business with God. Vern is right over here. Vern, raise your hand, please. I've asked Vern if he'd be willing. I'll be willing. There is Pastor Mike here. Pastor Aaron is here. Any of the elders that are here. Anybody. Ask anybody. Go, you know, I haven't done that. I realize, after what I've heard today, I really haven't trusted in what Jesus has done for me. Could you help me? Could you pray with me? I invite you to do that today. Because you, there is no guarantee. As we all head home after a while, there is no guarantee that you'll make it home safely. Oh, please. I beg of you. Do business with God. Allow Him to save you. <laughs> to save you. From that moment where Jesus says, I never knew you, get out of here. And you go to an eternal place of punishment. Rather, it says, I know you. You come. Oh, I've been waiting. This is great. Come on in. And let's party together. Because you have trusted in what my son Jesus did for you. All for God's glory. Let's bow in prayer. Lord, what a gift. What a gift that on that day, any of us would be welcomed into heaven, Lord, because you gave us the power to believe in what Jesus has done for us. Lord, if there are any here sitting here right now who have not yet placed their faith in what Jesus has done for them, Holy Spirit, Draw them to yourself, I pray. We pray that they will spend eternity, even beginning now, living a life bubbling over with life, your life in them. Living with the great promise of being with you forever. And that is, Lord, why we call it salvation. That's why we call it being saved. So I pray, Lord, do your work amongst us now. For those, Lord, of the redeemed who have placed their faith, Lord, we just rejoice. There is no arrogance. There is no pride. We only boast in what Jesus has done for us. Oh, Lord, God, you are great. You are mighty. You are loving. And you are merciful. Extend that mercy now. I pray to those who have not yet had the power to believe in you. Draw them to yourself for your glory, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.